But if the arrow is straight and the point is slick, it can pierce through dust no matter how thick. So I'll make my stand and remain as I am and bid farewell and not give a damn. Good morning and welcome to episode 636 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. We have returned to our usual recording locations. I am back in New York. Sam presumably is back in his kitchen. And we are resuming our team preview podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking about the Oakland Athletics. In our second segment, Sahadev Sharma will be speaking to John Hickey, the A's beat writer at the Bay Area News Group. But Our first segment, as always, is with the BP Annual Essay author. In this case, that is Philip Michaels, who is a senior editor for Tom's Guide, tomsguide.com, which if you have as many gadgets in your home as I do, you have no doubt visited on many an occasion to read reviews about tech things. It's been a valuable resource for me. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. We are happy to have you. So your essay was largely about the collapse in the second half, and some people are probably familiar with the ins and outs of how that happened, but since it led into the offseason to some extent, or it set up an active offseason for the A's, give us the, the quick summary of what went wrong for the A's after their great start. Well, the the quick summary of what went wrong, and it was it was impossible really to write about the A's and and not address what happened in the second half of the season. It all um, sort of hinged around the uh, Ioannis Cespedes uh, trade right at the trade deadline, and uh, there's a. a a, a popular uh, segment of thought that that was what undid the A's. I, I, my, my father said it's because Billy Bean got greedy, which is uh, witchcraft talk. But the the actual um, fact of the matter is the A's really overachieved in the first half of uh, uh, of 2014. They made the Ioannis Cespedes trade because they they sort of saw the writing on the wall and and wanted to at least go into the the postseason with some some very strong pitching. Um, injuries mounted up. There was some regression to the mean with some uh, uh, players who were really uh, hit, hitting above what you would expect them to do. Notably, uh, Brandon Moss sort of led that parade. And uh, the fact of the matter is, the Angels just really overtook the uh, overtook the A's. There, there, there wasn't going to be a lot that the A's could have done, even if they had uh, uh, not fallen off the cliff as dramatically as they did. Getting greedy is such a weird way to describe it. <laughs> it, it was a strange thing. No, it was like it's like an old woman talking about how she got the evil eye on the way to the marketplace, and now her crops won't grow. So that was that was my father's assessment. Maybe he can do the essay next year. <laughs> so what if the A's had stood pat? Essentially, what if they had some free agents departing, of course, most notably John Lester, who they traded for during the summer. But what if they had just brought back the same team that they had finished the season with more or less? Was that an option? What what would the A's look like today if they had brought that team back? Or why could they not bring that team back? 
I think if they had brought that team back, they might have done okay this year, but their window of opportunity really would have been a, a, a very tiny one because um, – uh, and, and in the, the three months that he pitched for Oakland, I never learned to properly pronounce his name, but Jeff Smarja, <laughs> yeah, he, he was going to, uh, depart at the end of, uh, this coming season, if not sooner, uh, the A's have traded him mid year. And there were, Brandon Moss was due for arbitration and due for a big, uh, uh, payoff and as was Josh Donaldson. So it, it really, I, I think. Billy Bean, even as early as uh, the 2014 season, was looking at 2015 and thinking, I have to reload. And it, it, it's it's so strange that they did reload in the context of they had the best record in baseball at one point during the 2014 season, deep into the season. And yet um, you had guys getting old, guys regressing to the mean, uh, guys coming off contract, and they didn't have a lot um, a, a lot in the cupboard to, to replace them. So if they would have stood pat, yeah, maybe they would have been okay in, in 2015. But 2016 would have been a very uh, a dark time. And the big guys that they traded, I, you touched on some of them, but, uh, you know, maybe obviously the, the most compelling reason to trade someone in any case is because you're getting back something that you think is worth more than the guy you're giving up. But is there anything specifically about those guys that they traded, Josh Donaldson, Derek Norris, Brandon Moss, is there anything that made them particularly good candidates to trade or was it solely financial i mean were there performance reasons to say that this was the time well i i think in moss's case probably there were both performance and health reasons you have a, a guy who uh, had a rather significant hip injury that uh, you can see what effect that had on him in the second half of the year and yeah he had the off season to get surgery but you're, you're talking a, a guy on the wrong side of uh, 30 I believe with a with a, a bum hip and that's uh, that's not something you really want to commit to long term Josh Donaldson also while he's had a great two years MVP caliber two years he did break out kind of late in 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 his uh, professional career after uh, uh, first coming up as a catcher and I think they they thought well, Let's deal him maybe a year or two too early rather than uh, uh, be overcommitted to him when he begins to hit the downward slide. So uh, I, I think there were compelling uh, uh, baseball reasons to uh, to probably target those two guys for uh, for removal. Now, now do Derek Norris because that's the one that I can't get. <laughs> no, I no, I don't even try. And uh, I I thought the only reason I can think and and. This is me sounding like my father talking about the the sticks and the the the, the bones uh, uh, foreboding evil. But um, after the 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 one game that Derek Norris had in that that playoff against Kansas City, where he he couldn't throw out anyone, he, I I just sort of sat there thinking I am never going to be able to look at him and and not see the the, the guy who um, who couldn't throw out Royals during the during that. Uh, playoff game and I'm not saying that that's why Oakland traded him but boy that his 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 career was not going to be a catcher for long at least not in Oakland so um going back to that uh and this doesn't matter to A's uh the A's future at all and yet it's all I can think about when I think about last season why didn't John Lester throw to first once during that game it was so weird that everybody knew that he hadn't thrown to first in a year and to just see him continue to not do it and to watch the Royals get bigger and bigger leads. 
to me is the most mystifying thing of the entire yeah. baseball season. And I'm not saying they would have won. I'm not saying that Billy Bean's place in the Hall of Fame depended on it or anything like that. But how hard is it to just lob one over? Like that will never not be weird to me. Yeah, I, I don't get it myself. I guess I guess you get used to doing things a certain way. I wonder I wonder if he knew that the whole baseball world was talking about that that whole day. Like I wonder if he knew that the Royals were aware and that every, you know that he was a like a meme that afternoon and I wonder if he didn't know that if it would have changed anything. I don't know. So, uh if I had told you in 2004 that Billy Bean would still be the GM, would it surprise you? Does it surprise you in retrospect that um, that that the A's have had the same GM for so long. I mean, I'm not saying that he should have been fired. He's obviously a great GM. Are you just at all surprised that he hasn't gone anywhere since that Red Sox winter and I, uh, that that I, everybody I, I, just sticks with this? Sure. I, I suppose that I, uh, if he was going to go somewhere, it would have been when the, the the Red Sox drove the dump truck full of money up to his house and said and and asked him to come up come aboard. But uh, I'm not surprised in the sense that. It's not a high pressure gig here in Oakland to 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 be the general manager. You don't have the 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 press brain for your head whenever something goes wrong. You don't you don't have an ownership that's that's really all that concerned with uh, with uh, uh, in the same Steinbrenner Steinbrennerine way of uh, of always making the the playoffs and always winning the World Series. So it's a nice little for lack of a better word, a, a laboratory to do what you want to do. When they gave him a, a, a small ownership stake in the team, I, I, I think he's in until um, his his muse carries him off to the world of, of European soccer. But what, I, guess what he, you, I guess he's into that now. What Do you think there is anything that he particularly wants to do besides you know win with this team? Is there Do you get the sense that there's anything notably motivating him? Because uh, it does feel like it would be sort of repetitive, just... Uh, in the sense that it's the same job and the same position, and he's in a lot of ways way too big for it. And not only that, but he's had his replacement there for ten years. Yeah, yeah, it, it does seem like uh, David Forrest is being pushed more and more towards the uh, the front of the stage, and uh, Bean is doing more of the 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 corporate gigs and the the the, the bouncing around London to 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 watch Spurs matches than than perhaps he did in the the past. So. Uh, I'm not sure what is motivating him at this point, other than he just wants that um, feather in the cap to to finally point out a successful postseason and go, see, see, it does work on occasion. And and maybe that was without getting into the, the dime store psychology. Maybe that was why they tried to go for it when they did the last year. So what percentage of the of the A's very disappointing postseason record over the past decade would you assign to him? And I know that the. Uh, that the the common sentiment has always been very very little if not if if any at all probably none but having seen it be repeated over and over are you willing to assign any of the A's postseason lack of success to the way these rosters are built to the way that the team has played or is it just a flat zero I, I think it has to be a flat zero I just anytime you have a shortened series if you if you took if you took the last year's Astros team, you could have uh, probably played a scenario where they would have gone on a a, a strange mystical run through the the, the postseason. It, when you when you're talking best of three or excuse me, best of five, best of seven, especially best of one series, it, it, there's there's only so much you can do other than to have the uh, best players in in place. And again, if uh, if uh, uh, Gregerson and and Doolittle uh, uh, 
don't give up some runs. Uh, maybe we're talking about the, the A's going on a bit of a run the, the postseason. Do you get excited about A's prospects, or do you just assume that you will never see them in yeah, an A's I don't, uniform? I, I don't get terribly attached. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I expect them to uh, to uh, 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 be sent out into the world. I, I've been following a little bit of spring training on Twitter, and the, the A's beat writers have a tendency to um, to cover former A's and former A's farmhands and, and just mention what they're doing on Twitter. And I wonder how th- they have time to do anything else mm-hmm. since there are, there are so many out there. But no, I, I uh, once they sort of reach the 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 uh, the they'll be coming up at some point this year stage. I'll, I'll take a little bit of notice of them, but down that path lies heartbreak. I don't invest in the Addison Russell jerseys. No. Uh Do you think it's a sustainable strategy what they're doing? I mean, you know, everyone was talking about who's the A's shortstop of the future. Well, it's Addison Russell. Oh, there goes Addison Russell in the the Lester trade, or then it was Daniel Robertson. And now he goes to the Rays in the Zobras trade. And both of those guys were 2012 first rounders. So they never played for the A's, but the A's got good players for them. And so now, say, Franklin Barreto maybe is the, the right. A's shortstop of the future, the guy who came back in the Donaldson deal. So is this a sustainable thing? You just kind of, I guess it depends on drafting well so that it, you have this steady supply of expendable prospects. It does. And the um, the one um, really desolate uh, patch that the A's had during the— uh, during Billy Bean's uh, uh, reign as GM, the, the 2007 through uh, 2011 timeframe, that that really could be tied on on just some bad drafts that they didn't have uh, the the pieces in place to either bring up or trade away for better pieces. Uh, so in a sense, it's 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 sustainable because uh, here we are, uh, you know, 14, 15 years into this uh, into this project and. The A's have uh, contended just as frequently as they have not. And what would you expect the trajectory of Marcus Semyon to be? Do you expect him to be a permanent shortstop for the foreseeable future? Or, mm. Well, the hopeful side of me wants to say yes, mm-hmm. that uh, that they, they managed to sniff out another uh, undervalued player. But I just... I don't see him being much more than a than a, a placeholder type piece. That eh, he'll be okay this year, but you don't really want to build a future that where he's figuring prominently into it. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that uh, he he flourishes. Obviously. And has Zobris been someone that A's fans have sort of had their eye on for a while? I mean, he seems to fit perfectly in so many ways into the A's system. I think so. I, I remember him, his name popping up again and again uh, as one of those uh, those uh, debates that A's fans like to have about, oh, if we could just get this guy, he'd be perfect for us. And and uh, that was one of the trades during the off season. I try and stay as detached as possible from from uh, November through opening day because you never know what's going to happen to to guys that you wanted to stick around but the Zobrist trade that was one that I actually did a little little fist pump in my in my uh, house when I heard about that news and then threw up my hands again when Escobar was sent away so I that that's what I get for paying attention and Billy Butler how does that fit into if we were going to try to shoehorn the Butler signing into one of the many Billy Bean hallmark strategies. Is there one that it fits into, or is that kind of an outlier? Or how do you how do you explain that three year deal? 
I <laughs> I explain that as uh, Billy Bean throwing something against the wall and seeing if it sticks. That one that one is a puzzler. That I'm I'm trying to think of a a, a similar move that they've made over the years and. I, I just cannot think of a comparable situation. I can only guess that they're that they're um, uh, buying low, but for three years and bringing a guy who is on the offensive decline into Oakland, which is not an offensive paradise. I, it, it's a puzzlement to me. But um, you, you hope that uh, uh, Billy Bean has done his math on this one. There's always, I think, a tendency with certain teams probably to. Uh... Uh, part probably not not always justifiably, but there's I think a tendency with certain teams to say, oh well, if this team did it, they probably have a good reason, and it probably makes more sense than we're we're allowing. But I mean, I feel like that same sort of deferral deference uh, happened last off season when they traded for Jim Johnson, and everybody said, oh my, that's kind of a weird move. I wonder why Billy Bean did that. Uh, and then we talked ourselves into thinking that I don't know closers were now undervalued or something or something like a one-year deal for a veteran or something like that, and then it turned out to be a disaster. Uh, and it yeah. was one of his worst moves. Uh, yeah, that, that was that. Thanks for bringing up that memory. Yeah, that was a weird move, and we didn't. I don't know. Like we all sort of knew it was a weird move, but we didn't necessarily treat it as such a weird move as we would have if the Phillies had done it. So I don't know, Butler. I'm almost hesitant to talk myself into thinking there's a reason for it, and maybe there. Maybe there isn't. Maybe it's just they saw a guy who's pretty good out there, and then they took him, and maybe they were kicking themselves a day later. Who really knows? I want to ask you about Stephen Vogt. I think this might be the last question, but Stephen Vogt is, was a late convert to catcher. Uh, he is going to be 30 this year, uh, and uh, the A's, I guess they haven't really needed him to be a catcher, and so that might explain why he hasn't been a full-time catcher, but he only started, I think, seven games at catcher last year, uh, and right. he, he's... I guess going to be the, the the starting catcher, right? And so, do you have a sense of uh, like kind of where he falls defensively compared to other catchers? What his uh, profile is as a defensive catcher? I can only base it on on the limited times I've seen him behind the plate. He seems to be an an, an adequate blocker of pitches. Uh, probably a little better on on throwing out runners than than Derek Norris. Although I'm not sure that anyone employed professionally could be much worse. Uh, I had sort of hoped that they were going to keep uh, uh, Giovanni Soto around as a as kind of the defensive. Uh, bulwark behind the plate and and how sad prospects have dimmed that I'm pining away for Giovanni Soto. Um, the catcher position has been a, a mystifying one to me this offseason because as they were making moves after moves and you sort of see, okay, this is beginning to come into shape and and, and this is making sense. The catcher uh, one for me was one that, okay, what are they going to do at catcher? Because all they have left is uh, Stephen Vogt and, uh, and some prospects and, and they never seem to fill it. And it, it, you don't want to say that they, they almost forgot to do it as they were hustling around to do everything else. But boy, it sure does look like it from, from a distance. It, it does seem like this is the weakest position in a in, a, in what is actually a very well balanced and strong lineup at every other position. And we saw so many other teams that we think of as analytical this year go out and pluck these framing catchers from all corners. You know the Hank Conger types, the guys who the Ray the Rene Rivera's, those kind of guys who aren't really that famous but have this one skill that everybody seems to be focused on. And it's sort of interesting that. The A's haven't really gone for that kind of guy. 
and didn't this offseason, even though there seemed to be kind of a, a lot of them floating around. And, and so they're going with Vote, who is uh, maybe a great framer. I don't really know that we have enough data to say one way or another, but uh, is certainly not somebody with that reputation. No. Yeah, I, I wrote about that a bit last year. I, I felt like if you have guys who hit as well as the A's catchers were hitting last year, then it probably doesn't matter all that much. They were, at the time, they had the most productive catching offensive tandem in the major leagues. So that makes up for, for some missed strikes. And the, uh, the, the best explanation I heard for the Jim Johnson move was from Matthew Murphy at the Hardball Times, who showed how paying established closers can save teams money in the long run because your, your young setup guys make less in arbitration because they don't get those saves early on. And so they were able to lock up Sean Doolittle to what seemed like a reasonable long-term extension, although he is, of course, hurt now. That was the best theory I heard, and maybe Tyler Clippard is filling that role now. Anyway, give us a prediction. How many games will the A's win this year, and where will they finish in the AL West? As they're currently constituted, I, I see them as an 80, maybe 85 win team if, if things break right. Um, I, I think this is going to be Seattle's division to win. I, I think the Angels are going to contend as well, though I, I see them falling off a little bit from, from, from last year. The A's could be in the, the playoff mix now that we have the two wildcard teams. I think they have a, a shot at that. And, of course, the track record of, of the the Billy Bean, David Forst administration is that if you uh, get to June and you're still in the mix, you make some deals to try and uh, uh, solidify the team. So I go in with a, a, a reasonable amount of hope, and, and that usually uh, uh, proves disastrous and disappointing for me. So uh, so uh, possible wild card contender. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Philip Michaels is the senior editor at Tom's Guide, tomsguide.com, where you should go if you are thinking about buying an electronic device. He also wrote the A's essay in the BP Annual and can be found on Twitter at Philip Michaels. After the musical break, you will hear Sahada speaking to John Hickey of the Bay Area News Group. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is John Hickey, reporter for the Bay Area News Group. We're going to preview the 2015 Oakland Athletics. John, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, let's kick it oh, off. Oh, my pleasure. Let's kick it right off with the ballpark situation. I know uh, the new... Uh, 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 Commissioner Rob Manfred had some thoughts. And uh, where are we? What, what are the expectations? Is this coming any closer uh, to to some sort of conclusion? Nah, <laughs> it's trying to go on for seven years. Why would why would we want to change it now with just having a new commissioner? Uh, the he expressed concern about it. He said it's important, but he offered no ideas on timetable. And um, yeah, I don't expect any any resolution. Uh, the A's could move to San Jose, except for the, for the Giants' uh, rather absurd claim that they own San Jose. And 
the commissioner could overrule that in a second if he wanted to. Doesn't want to, and Bud Seeley didn't, and, and Rob Manfred apparently doesn't either. So it's it's about staying in open, but the case there, of course, is that there's one site and both the Raiders and 40 and Raiders and uh, A's are uh, thinking about having, you know, a football only and or a baseball only stadiums. And it's uh, it's just an ongoing uh, kerfuffle. There's just, there's no real easy solution. And uh, so we're, we're no further along today than we were a week ago, a month ago or a year ago. Yeah, Billy Bean had quite a busy uh, off season. If it wasn't for AJ Preller in San Diego, I think you know he'd be the talk of the off season. Uh, you know, each move on their own uh, could it, you know led to some scratching of the head. But I think as a whole, what they did makes some sense. He's just kind of extend that window, even if they maybe take a step back from last season. The the competition, as far as competing, they can keep this going. You know, was this? A, was it all a you know a sum of the parts off season? Was that Billy Bean's goal? Does it, it or or were these just you know individually? He think he, Billy Bean's mind I know works in different ways. So w- even if he didn't get all these other moves done, if just one or two of them would have been made, would he have been satisfied? No, I mean he needed to get he needed to get all these done. Um, he knew he was going to lose uh, you know seven players in free agency. Um, I think the Josh Donaldson trade clearly is the one that raised the most eyebrows because Josh Donaldson was premier third baseman, well, he is a premier third baseman, and is, uh, you know, after had, after just two years, he was still making basically major league minimum money and had four years of club control. Hard to see why you let that go, but then uh, uh, with Brett Lowry playing third and Kendall Graveman, uh, Coming over to maybe be in the rotation. Um, this uh, this could work out. This could work out for for the uh, for the A's long term because these guys will have uh, are younger and and they clearly have some talent. Although giving up Donaldson was a was a monster price to pay. Yeah, it certainly was potential MVP candidate year in and year out lately, and uh, just kind of the heart and soul of that team. It seemed like. It, you know, the the team really faded down the stretch. You know, at the trade deadline, they were the best team. It's even the the favorites to win it all, if you can call anyone a favorite in, in baseball. But but they really seemed to be, uh, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Uh, and then they really faded. What was the key to that fade, and did they address that in the offseason? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the second half of the season, uh, Brandon Moss played with a hip injury that he didn't tell anybody about. Uh Donaldson was in the lineup every day, even though he shouldn't have been. They went from being at a peak when they had a, a three, three-man catching uh, rotation of uh, of John Jaso and Derek Norris and uh, Stephen Vogt, which worked very well for them. And one by one, each of them got hurt. Uh, by the end of the season, Jaso was on the DL. Uh, Vogt could only DH or play an occasional outfield. And uh, Norris was so beat up that uh, your grandmother could steal second base against him. He, he literally shouldn't have been in the lineup. He was in no position to throw anybody out. And it's just um, the injuries really, really beat this team up last year. Uh, Reddick was hurt. Coco Chris was hurt. And uh, even at that, they made the postseason. And they, uh, if uh, the gods had been more friendly, they had. They had to lead in the eighth inning, and they had to lead in the eleventh inning in the in the wild card, and couldn't close it out of your time. 
Yeah, it's just just seemed like one of those snake bitten second halves, and it seemed to continue on into that wild card game. Uh, Sonny Gray got named opening day starter. Uh, I, I don't think that was a huge uh, huge surprise. You have Casimir right behind him, and you feel kind of comfortable. You know what you're going to get from both of those guys. Maybe even Gray's ready to take a step forward. Uh, it, but the three, I guess you know, you can suggest uh, you know Graveman may be part of it. Han, Chavez, Pomeres. Out of those four names, before we really get to Griffin and Parker, before they're ready to come back, out of those four guys, do you see someone that can really step up and maybe emerge? It seems like it happens inevitably for the A's. Is there is there a guy in this group, maybe even someone I'm not naming? No, I think actually uh, the guy that is impressed the most halfway through the spring, we have to say that, yes, the, the other half to be completely different, but... Kendall Grayman has come in and really impressed people. This is a guy who started at low A last year, was in the major leagues by the end of the season with Toronto, and is now is now here. The uh, the catcher's rave about his ability to to sink to both sides of the plate and to cut the ball to both sides of the plate. That's something that much more experienced pitchers really have trouble doing. It is usually you sink to one side and cut to the other. Uh, but this this guy has a special talent for pitching. And I had uh, one of the, one of his teammates today compare him to Sonny Gray. So if you think about having two Sonny Grays in your rotation, well, <laughs> you can have worse, you can have worse things to say about a rotation. Certainly, yeah. Uh, and I mentioned Parker and Griffin. What what are their status? How uh, is it, it? Do we expect them back uh, middle of the summer? And and how effective can we can we think that they're going to be in in 2015? Uh, well, now Parker's going back from his second Tommy John surgery, which means they're probably going to give him a little more time than they might otherwise. But he's already facing hitters. Um, it's not unreasonable to think that he could be back late June or, or right around the All-Star break, if, if not. But it's uh, they're going to have to take it careful, carefully with a guy who's already, you know, already gone, undergone the knife twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for AJ, it's his first time, and he had his surgery about six or seven weeks after Parker did, although they got hurt about the same time. And because of that, he'll be a little bit behind for for much of March and April, but I'm he might actually be back sooner because of the fact that they don't because this is just the first of uh first time he's had this surgery. Uh I expect both of them to to, to come back as do they, but how effective they'll be is a different issue, you know. It's frequently the it takes a full year back before the pitchers uh, can can trust themselves enough to throw anything at any time and and have the command that they had before. Some some people beat the uh, beat the clock. Uh, we'll have to see if that happens for either of these guys. You know the A's got Ben Zobrist and everybody just kind of said, well, that makes sense. He's a that he's a typical Oakland Billy Bean type of player. Uh, but they also acquired in the Jeff Samarja trade Marcus Simeon, who, you know, I watched a lot here in Chicago, and I, I saw him more as a utility guy. But I think some people see more out of him. What 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 does uh, what do the people, folks in Oakland, think of Marcus Simeon, and and could he kind of be that uh, a little poor man, maybe a poor man's Ben Zobris someday? Yeah, maybe, and he very clearly uh, could be. Obviously, Zobris came up and you know playing shortstop as well. Uh, this is, Marcus is, uh, is a local, uh, product. He's from Berkeley, uh, right, uh, right next door to Oakland. And, uh, the A's 
like him very much as an athlete, and they think he can be a good shortstop. They talked about his ability to play other positions, but the position they need him to play is shortstop. It's going to be – they've traded away two of their uh, their best minor league prospects in the last 10 months, as you know. Um, and so they don't have uh, – until Franklin Burrow is, is ready, they got picked up in his trade, uh, until he's ready, they don't have another shortstop. I could see uh, Semyon, you know, maybe playing short for a couple of years and then transitioning to to another position when when uh, they have a, a more classically trained uh, shortstop that is ready, if you want to phrase it like that. You know, we we talk, we we kick this off with the ballpark uh, situation. It doesn't sound like it's any closer to getting fixed, but if it if it ever does, and Billy Bean's still around, do, do you expect? Uh, how Billy Bean operates to change because maybe there's more money intact. Is it, is this more of an ownership issue or is, is the ballpark directly affecting how much money Billy Bean's getting to work with? Well, I mean, yes and yes. It's an ownership issue in the fact that, that the, the, the A's could, A's ownership could put more money into the club than they do, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not in business to lose money and they're not going to, and they don't. Um, once they they were in a position to generate more money from uh, from a stadium that uh, has you know 21st century amenities, uh, Billy has, has been quite clear that they would spend more money. But you know I don't think you would ever see them spending you know Yankee Dodger kind of money, Red Sox money. You know that's that's not in in the cards. Uh, they're the second team in a two-team market, and new stadium will help that a great deal, but it won't change the basic dynamics, I wouldn't think. Uh, before I let you go, John, what I'm asking everybody uh, here is what storyline, what event, this doesn't have to be a key to the season, but just as as a reporter, as someone that's going to be covering the team on a daily basis, what are you most looking forward to covering or writing about? What topic it really intrigues you for the 2015 athletics? Um, I'm interested to actually see if an entirely new infield can perform at the same level as the entire as the old infield did. Uh, Eric Sogard is left from that infield, but he won't be a starter. And so they're going to have uh, different uh, starters at all at all four positions. And you know the the, the chemistry that the the old group had, you know, is Clearly nowhere to be found, but it can be, you know, I'll be, I'll be interested to see if it, it will, uh, uh, different and good chemistry and, and the ability to work uh, quickly together will, uh, will happen in a hurry or if it will, you know, take some time. You know, one more question. Sorry, I said that was the last one, but I just remembered Barry Zito's back on the club. Is he is he expected to make the team? Has he is he looked you know even close to major league uh, ready uh, when he's he's been on the mound, or or is this a guy that you know if he's still playing come April, it's in the minors? Uh, well, I don't think he'll make the team. I think that'd be an extreme long shot at this point for for Zito to make the team. But that's only because the A's have a lot of good pitching. Uh, Zito is throwing three or four miles faster or, um, uh, now than he was when he was the last couple of years with the Giants. Uh, he threw four innings of relief uh, on 
Sunday, there were as good as anything anybody had thrown all spring in any camp. Phase 12 batters, one of them got on base, the race by a double play. He very efficient uh, with his pitches and looked, you know, looked very veto of, you know, uh, a decade ago. Hmm. He will start for somebody. I just don't think it'll be the A's. Interesting. He and Billy uh, Bean have a, have, a, have a good relationship, and Billy gave him a chance to come to come here and be to more more or less showcase what he can do. Uh, if you watch this the spring progress, he's not getting starts; he's getting relief appearances, but he's getting his arms stretched out. And somebody is going to want to have Barry Zito in the rotation. I just don't think it's going to be Oakland. John, uh, why don't you let the listeners know? Uh, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can read your work. Yeah, I'm at, uh, at jnicky3, uh, numeral three, uh, at uh, on Twitter, and I can be re- uh, read on uh, uh, InsideBayArea.com uh, or the MercuryNews.com. Either one will uh, will have a link to everything I write. That's John Hickey, reporter for the Bay Area News, covering the Oakland A's. Thanks so much for your t- time, John. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right, that's it for the A's preview. Thank you for listening. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back with the listener email show tomorrow and the Giants preview podcast on Thursday.